morning, church. My name is Showers, and I'm from Tribe, which is the Young Adult Life Group. And this morning, I'll be reading Matthew 7, verse 13 to 20. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? or figs from thorn bushes. So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. This is the word of God. Uh, let's come to that word in a in a moment of prayer. Father, we recognize even on first hearing that you are calling us to a choice this morning. And it's not a choice we can possibly make in and of our own strength or by our own will. Father, as always, we need you to be working in us by the power of your spirit. Father, help us. Give us ears to hear this morning. Give us a laser-like focus and attention on our Lord Jesus, our great Messiah, the worthy one, as he explains this choice to us. And Father, will you keep us from leaving here not having made a choice? not having confirmed our choices. We commit ourselves to you. We commit ourselves to your loving care and pray that you would reveal yourself to us now through your Son and in the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Black mentioned a little bit earlier, Jesus is reaching the end of his famous sermon. The greatest preacher who ever lived ends the greatest sermon ever preached by presenting a choice. Other great preachers have done the same thing. Moses did the same. Joshua did the same. The psalmist did the same. Choose this day, they all said. But Jesus came before them all. As another famous preacher, John the Baptist, once said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Jesus is first in that sense. In the sense of God himself, in the flesh, presenting a choice to his people. Jesus, the first and greatest of all preachers, says choose. He offers his hearers a choice. It's a very stark choice. It is night and day. It is crystal clear. And just to be sure that we recognize that we have a choice to make, at the end of his great sermon, he offers this same choice four times over. No fewer than four times. It's the same choice. He says, choose between two ways, two teachers, two confessions, two foundations. 
the very same choice presented in four different ways so that we cannot miss the fact that we have to choose. Today we're going to focus on the choice between two ways. Let's hear Jesus again. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus breaks down this choice for us even further to make it, if possible, even clearer. There are two gates. You would have heard him just say, there are two gates. There are two ways. There are two groups of people. There are two destinations. And there are two guides. All of it amounts to one choice. We start with the two gates. There is the broad gate and there is the narrow gate. Notice that Jesus has to instruct his hearers to enter by the narrow gate. But entering by the broad gate just happens. You have to find the narrow gate, but the broad gate needs no finding. You could easily walk through the broad gate without even noticing. You don't even have to change lanes to enter by the broad gate. Just keep going. Everybody's in. Everybody's welcome. Our world loves the idea of the broad gate. We love the idea of inclusivity. If Jesus had just said, for the gate is wide and the way is easy and those who enter by it are many, he would have got a standing ovation in our society. Everybody's in, nobody's out. In terms of what you believe and how you live, as long as it works for you. We all have our own truth and we must live and let live. John Godfrey Sachs wrote a poem based on an ancient Indian parable that I'm sure you're going to recognize. But there are a few things that capture the spirit of our age better than this poem. It's called The Blind Man and the Elephant. It was six men of Hindustan, to learning much inclined, who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant and happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side at once began to bawl, God bless me, but the elephant is nothing but a wall. The second feeling of the tusk cried, Ho, what have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp to me it is mighty clear. This wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. The sixth no sooner had begun about the beast to grope Then seizing on the swinging tail that fell within his scope, I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a rope. And so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion, exceeding stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right, and all were in the wrong. So often theologic wars the disputants I ween tread on in utter ignorance of what each other mean, and prate about the elephant Not one of them has seen. What's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is keep the gate open wide. Let's get everybody in. In fact, you have no right to narrow the gate because you are blind to the truth. And at the end of the day, we're all talking about the same thing anyway. So we need everybody in. 
because we're all feeling a different part of the same elephant. And so we need all of those perspectives. That's the broad gate. And our world celebrates it. And in fact, our world guards it jealously, fiercely. Jesus is saying, if we don't change lanes, we're going to drift in through that gate with everybody else. He says there's another gate. And you must enter by the other gate. It's the narrow gate. In John's gospel, he explains what this gate is. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. I am the only way in. I am the only way in. And this gate is narrow. It's a turnstile gate. It only admits one at a time. You can't drift in with the crowd. You have to look for it. You are flying along the highway with everybody else. If you don't look for the narrow gate, you're going to miss it, and you're going to drift in through the broad gate with the crowd. Jesus says, I am the only way in. And you're not going to just drift in through me by following the crowd. You have to make a choice. Our world hates this idea. It hates the idea of Christianity's narrow gate. It hates the idea of anything narrow. Things must be broad. But now listen to how a modern-day poet responding to someone like John Godfrey Sachs responds. This is a transcript from the hip-hop artist Propaganda. He's answering the question, isn't Christianity too narrow? And that's the question many of us would have here today. Isn't Christianity too narrow? I quote, We think narrow means intolerant. And intolerance is somehow the cardinal sin of our world. If you are playing a guitar, how many G's are there? How many ways can you play a G? There's only one way to play a G. You're either on key or you're off key. Is that intolerant? Is that narrow? Is that unfair? No, it's beautiful. There's only one way to play this note. It's beautiful. The step back is, well, what's wrong with narrow? Narrow in what way? Narrow in the way of being clear and concise, in being decisive, in being attainable. Yes, in that sense, absolutely. In that sense, Christianity is narrow. But isn't that a good narrow? It's not like I'm throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping something will stick. That's broad. But I mean, come on. Who's trying to live like that? You just toss stuff up and hope that something stays there. No, man. Show me the bullseye. Tell me the target. How do I fix this? How is man made right with God? Don't be like, well, you know, you'll figure it out. No, I won't. Who has? Nobody's figured it out. No, I need you to tell me. How do I get this? So in my mind, I'm like, why is narrow bad? In a lot of contexts, narrow is good. Doesn't mean it lacks grace. Doesn't mean it lacks love. In fact, it's the opposite. Isn't that great? 
a lot of people accuse Christianity of arrogance. Because we say you have to enter by the narrow gate. And the reason we say that is because our Lord has said it. But did you notice? The only one in the elephant poem who could see everything clearly was the one claiming that everybody else is blind. The poet himself. He says, I'm here to tell you that all you people who claim to have the truth are blind. But how do you know? How do you know John Godfrey Sachs? How do you know that we are blind? His answer, because I can see. You are all blind, but I can see. Who's guilty of arrogance? The two gates open out into two ways. The broad gate opens onto the easy way, and the narrow gate opens onto the hard way. The broad way is easy going. It's the path of least resistance. You are on the right side of history, at least in the medium term. You're not going to offend anybody or pick up any opposition. You're going to go with the flow. It's like you're floating down the Zambezi River on a booze cruise. That's the easy way. If you want to know what the easy way looks like in our culture, just listen to the average DJ or podcaster or talk show host. They will never say anything to offend majority opinion, at least of their constituency, because popularity with this constituency is their bread and butter. They have to parrot that subculture back to itself, otherwise they lose ratings, they lose support. So nine times out of ten, on any issue, you can guess their opinion before they've opened their mouths, because it's the majority view. It's the politically correct position for their constituency. It's a parrot of what that constituency would say. That's the easy way. What's the hard way? Jesus said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. He calls us to follow him. Did he take the easy way? Here's a description from later on in Matthew's gospel of the path that he took. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. His road was hard. And so naturally, those he calls to follow him, his disciples like us, they don't like this hard way. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests but on man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He calls us to follow him on the hard road. That's the road of self-denial. He's already told us in the sermon what that means. What it means to walk on the road of self-denial, the hard road. It means being reconciled to someone when you are angry with them. That's hard. It means keeping your marriage vows, not because you want to, but because God wants you to. That's hard. 
It means telling the truth, turning the other cheek, loving your enemies. That is hard. It means giving in secret, praying in secret, fasting in secret, when there's no one around to applaud you or even to notice what you're doing. It means being radically generous with your money. It means not judging others without first judging yourself. It means treating others as you would want to be treated. It's a narrow road. It is hard. It's a road constrained by the obligations of love. On the broad road, you wander wherever your desires lead you. On the narrow road, you are hedged in by loyalty to your king and concern for others. It's no surprise then that the one road is busy. It's full of traffic. The other one is almost empty. There are two groups of people traveling on this road. On the broad road, there are many. On the narrow road, Jesus tells us, there are few. It's a reminder to us that if you are looking for popularity, for affirmation, looking to please others, if you are after likes and hits and views and hearts, don't bother with Christianity. It's not going to be popular. And if it ever is, it's because people haven't understood it. Or we've distorted it to make it more appealing. Remember, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the crowds were cheering. The moment those same crowds understood who he actually was and that he was on the wrong side of history, they stopped shouting Hosanna in the highest and they started shouting, crucify him. No servant is above his master. If you want popularity, post a cat video on YouTube. You are not going to get it from the Christian life. Sadly, too many of us try. We try to follow Jesus on the broad road. We're going to follow Jesus, but we're going to do it on the broad road. We try to keep Jesus and our allegiances to popular culture together. We try to be both popular and Christian. Sometimes we do this, out of, as I just said, out of a plain, people-pleasing desire to be liked. Sometimes we do it out of a, a more noble desire to reach the lost. But then, as the saying goes, most heresies are born on the mission field. In other words, we are so desperate to appeal to our culture to hold Christianity and our culture together that we water down the truth of what Christianity actually is. Whatever our motives, we come up with a brand of pop Christianity that we think is somehow a nice marriage of our faith and our culture. And initially, it's attractive. It may even draw numbers, but in the end, it never works. In the end, the compromises become too glaringly obvious, and people just see through us. They see that these people aren't actually true to what they say they believe. We become redundant as the church, because people don't need to go to the church to find the culture. The culture is much better at being the 
the culture than the church ever will be. We have to be who we are in Christ and love the culture, love our society. And the way to love them is by being salt and light. Yet we persist in trying to remake Jesus in the image of our culture, in the image of whatever our cultural idol happens to be, and there are many subcultures represented here. So Jesus becomes a right-wing conservative politician. Or Jesus is a hippie. Jesus is a rock star, or Jesus is a social media, media influencer. Jesus is a middle-class resident of suburban Midrand with two children and a bond repayment. Of course, in reality, Jesus is none of these things. You simply won't find him on the broad road. You can't lead him there because he won't be led. He does the leading. And he has chosen the narrow road for himself and for his followers. We're going to see why in a moment. Before we do, we just need to recognize that Christianity is a difficult and sometimes very lonely road. And I'm sure I don't need to persuade you. You know this. You know this from your workplace, your campus, your extended family gatherings. In those settings, as a Christian, if you are true to yourself, you're on the margins. You're on the fringe. You are offensive. You're one of those. You are a fundamentalist. Maybe, just maybe, there's some comfort in knowing it's always been like this. So in the 4th century, what, 16, 17 centuries ago, there was an African theologian called Athanasius who took a stand for the gospel. In his day, it was popular to say that Jesus is a very important man He's a wonderful teacher. He's a spectacular miracle worker, but he's still a man. He's not God. Not much has changed. That thing is still around. Athanasius, in his day, he took a stand for the divinity of Christ. And sometimes it was a very lonely, very costly stand to take. He was exiled from his homeland on five different occasions. I think he spent something like 15 years in exile. At one point, his friends gathered around him and said, just, man, just, just give it up. Give it up already. The whole world is against you. His reply? Well, then Athanasius is against the whole world. On the narrow road, there are few. But there is a reason that Jesus wants us to walk on that road. Brings us to two destinations. The broad road leads to destruction. This is what he says to us. We may find it comfortable for a while to go with the flow, but eventually the Zambezi River drops off into an abyss. We can try and distract ourselves with umbrella cocktails, but this booze cruise ends in destruction. It's no good living from weekend to weekend, from holiday to holiday, from renovation to renovation, from promotion to promotion. We have to live with the end in mind. And the end is not retirement. I was talking to a young person in our church family the other day who was telling me that how on social media it's really popular now, nowadays 
for the goal to be early retirement. So I'm going to retire at 35. I'm done. I've made it by 35. Those of us who are 45, 50, are giggling just a little bit. But anyway, even if you do, what then? Then you've got 50, 60 years to distract yourself from the reality that retirement is not the end. Death is the end. The broad way is a wide river with a strong current pushing us inevitably, irresistibly, relentlessly towards death. And beyond physical death, there is a second death. The second death is eternal separation from God. Eternal separation from God is an unspeakable horror because God is good. There is nothing good apart from God. Anything good comes from God. To be separated from God is an existence without any good in it. Can you imagine? I mean, we find it hard living in this world that is a mixed reality of good and evil. It's tough enough living in this world. Now imagine this world without any restraint on evil whatsoever. Imagine this world without a single joy, without a single pleasure. It is so horrific, you can't even dwell on it for too long. That's what Jesus means when he talks about destruction. That's where the broad road leads us. But the narrow road, the narrow road leads to life. Jesus said to his father, now this is life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He said to his disciples, I am the life. No one comes to the father but by me. Following after Jesus is a journey constrained and limited by self-denial and the obligations of love. That's what makes it the narrow road. But the narrow road is the only road that leads to life. And you can enjoy that life as you journey on the narrow road. You can begin to taste it as you walk with your master on the narrow road. The only road that leads to life. The rebellious, indifferent self-interest of the broad road leads to destruction. As we walk on either one of these two roads, there are cheerleaders, there are guides, there are instructors, teachers, two of them. They are there on either road, right? Once again, we face a choice. We're looking here at Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 to 20. And I'm going to be brief here because Jesus, once again, is so very clear True prophets will encourage you through the narrow gate onto the hard road that leads to life. They will encourage you to live in Jesus, abide with him, draw life from him, and walk with him. That's a true prophet. False prophets will affirm you in your sin and cheer you on as you wander aimlessly with everyone else through the broad gate onto the easy road 
that leads to destruction. Here's the problem. The problem is that false prophets disguise themselves. They dress up like the real thing. So how are we to know the difference? Because clearly knowing the difference is critical. Jesus says you know them by their fruit. So what he's doing is he's inviting us to imagine these, these two guides, these two teachers as two trees. The fruit of the false prophet is, notice the language, thorns and thistles. Where have you heard that before? You've heard it in Genesis 3. That's the fruit of the curse. That's the fruit of Adam's sin. Sin leads to death. The false prophet is a poisonous tree. May taste good. May be pleasing to the eye. May taste good for a while. But you are going to get sick and then you are going to die. The fruit of the healthy tree is the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. What does this mean for you as you choose? It means you must choose your teachers wisely. You must choose them wisely. It's a choice of great gravity. To know the fruit of your teacher, you need to be close enough to them to know something about their lives. You need to be in the same local community as your teacher. You need to be in the same church family as your teacher. You can't judge the fruit of a tree through a screen. You can have, as your wallpaper on your phone, a picture of the most spectacular orchard. It might be an absolutely magnificent picture, but you can't possibly know the health of the fruit on those trees through that picture. To know, you'd have to walk amongst the trees. You'd have to handle, touch, and taste the fruit. How does this apply to our lives and to our choices? Well, one clear application is don't give the internet pastor or the television pastor your final choice. Don't give them that choice. Don't give them too much authority. Of course we can be edified by online content. Of course we can be. But don't give them the kind of authority that implies this final choice. Not because they, your local pastor is necessarily better than, than, obviously not. I'm not saying that the clergy here on staff, we are somehow better than what's out there on the internet. The point is you can't know. You can't, you've got no way of sampling the fruit. At least here, you can sample the fruit. Or in any other local community that you're a part of. If you leave here, God forbid, and go somewhere else, the same would be true. You need to know that shepherd by the fruit in their lives. They're going to be flawed. They're going to be a mixed reality. But you can know. Whereas the internet pastor, the television pastor, you have no idea. Right? You simply cannot know their characters. You, you cannot know anything about their marriages. Or how they treat their staff. Or their relationship with money. Or sex. Or power. Or alcohol. If you are going to trust someone to shepherd you on the narrow road, you hear the gravity of this choice. You need to know them. And you will know them by their fruit. 
You cannot know the television pastor or the internet pastor in that way. So, we've seen two gates, narrow and wide. Two ways, hard and easy. Two groups, few and many. Two destinations, life and destruction. Two guides, true and false. All of it amounts to one choice. One choice. But we are consumers. We feel entitled to variety. If you want to insult a consumer, if you want to commit the cardinal sin, limit their choices. Let's take shampoo. I did a quick Google search. You can choose between regular, everyday, clarifying, anti-breakage, purifying, thickening, volumizing, strengthening, anti-frizz, anti-dandruff, anti-grease, two-in-one, sulfate-free, natural, and we can't go on because life is too short (laughs) to talk endlessly about shampoo. It's a glut of choices. And we demand nothing less. We will not be constrained in our choices. Imagine being told you have a choice. Shampoo or no shampoo. I mean, we would be toy-toying outside of Diskim. But at least we'd be less confused. And that's hair. Jesus is talking about ultimate reality. He's talking about life and death. Brothers and sisters, we cannot afford to be confused. We need to be clear on the choices. And it is God's mercy to us that there are only two. There are only two. There are no shades of gray. There's no lukewarm here. Either you choose Jesus and you follow him on the hard road to life, the good life, the abundant life, life with him, eternal life. Or you choose not to choose and you drift with the crowd down the broad road to destruction. Jesus or destruction? You have to choose. I hope by now it's obvious you have every reason imaginable to choose Jesus. There are... There's absolutely no shortage. There is an enormous God-given abundance of reasons to choose Jesus. Let me give you the one that I think might just be the most important and the most compelling. He chose you first. There was no narrow gate. There was no hard way to life until he opened it. The narrow gate he entered was the cross. The hard road he walked was the road to Calvary. He went the way of destruction so that you don't have to. He chose death. So now you are free to choose life. And so you have to choose. I appeal to you. I plead with you. I beg you. Choose life. Choose Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for making this choice so very clear. Please, will you help anyone who is struggling with this choice to see the consequences 
in all of their gravity. Help them to see those consequences clearly. Father, help them to see your love, the height of it, the breadth of it, the depth of it for them in Jesus and his choice for us so that they know they can trust you. Help them to see things as they truly are and to choose Jesus. Father, for those of us who have already chosen him, help us by your spirit to live this choice. We wander so easily back onto the broad road. Father, keep us, draw us back to yourself by your spirit. Help us to enter through Christ, to follow after Christ, to walk on the hard, narrow road of self-denial and love because he has gone before us and opened the way. Father, we cannot do it on our own. Help us, we plead with you. Lead us on by the Spirit of Christ. He is the gate. He alone is the way. He alone is the life. And so it's only in his name that we can ask. Amen.